Hey guys, it's Kendra. And this is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. We just sat down and before we could get started, I had a visitor at my front door and it kind of threw me off. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> I had literally just walked through your door and I feel like whoever knocked right after must have seen me go in. I know. And then we did the millennial thing that you do, which is ignore, hide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I told Jessica, I'm like, this is what I do every time somebody knocks on my door, because if I'm not expecting you, like I'm not answering. <laughs> but what really sucks is two minutes before that, we were really loud, like going through my house, talking about stuff. <laughs> stuff and and I know who it was it was someone from the Mormon church because like <laughs> I said in previous episodes I used to be Mormon and no matter where you are they find you they come they yep. say hello I had been in this place now for don't you say like six months and no one has shown up this entire time so it was surprising but I recognized the guy's face actually <laughs> and I felt really bad to leave him at the door typically I would answer and say something but we're on a time crunch right now we got stuff to do <laughs> and I feel really bad actually my heart hurts <laughs> that I didn't open the door he did knock twice he did he was a nice guy when I met him at one point. It's just so hard because once you answer the door, then you feel like you are obligated to have a conversation. You can't just say, not a good time, bye, because they always can I get know. a little pushy. That's the hard part. And they made the time to drive over here. But at the same time, I look like a troll right now. <laughs> and I didn't want to answer the door to him because, as Kendra knows, I spent my entire morning, like four hours worth cleaning my place. <laughs> and I look like trash. And that's what's so awesome about doing a podcast because it doesn't matter what we look like. We look like trash and y'all <laughs> don't know start it. Recording. <laughs> One day when we do video, though, we'll actually have to look decent. But that's the main reason, just so you all know why we don't do video, because we enjoy just being our troll selves. I mean, that's the only way I can do it some days. Yeah, because it really is. Yeah. And we're recording early morning sometimes on the weekend and or after work. Same after thing. work. Yeah. We look like trash. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we have to dress up enough in this society and look good. It's like yeah. this is the one time for us to just be ourselves. Yeah. So we're in blankets. I'm in, um, what do they call those? Moo-moos? Moo-moos. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a big old sweater on. I can't see anyone right now. Nobody, especially not the guy in the Mormon church that has like a full on tie. Oh, and he was completely put together. <laughs> I'm like, no, I saw you once and I was put together then, but not right now. You're like, you wouldn't even recognize me. <laughs> I could have probably said wrong place and he would have been OK. He's like, that is not the that's, same girl. That's not the same girl. <laughs> we all do it. That's what the weekends are for. But I will get ready in a little bit because me and Kendra are going to go check out this teeny baby little bar right by my place. I'm excited. And it's the cutest thing. I've driven by this place for the last 12, 13 years. And the name of it's really cute. It's <laughs> Mother Tucker, Mother Trucker or something like that. And yeah. I, I went in there once because I was like, what is that? I was getting an oil change mm -hmm. by a place that was right there. And so I just walked over and I like peeked in and I was like, oh, it's the cutest little fucking bar I've ever seen in my life and I told her about it and we're gonna actually go take a sit so that's like this. our treat after we get done recording today and you'll have a little yeah. Christmas drink and Kendra and I don't typically drink beer but it's a beer place and they make their own beer and it's just this tiny little door you walk through and you have no idea how big it is once you actually get inside oh cool yeah so after your episode last week I went home and I asked my kids if they had heard of Krampus well no first I asked Drew I said do you know Krampus and he's like no so oh. he didn't know but both of my kids are like how do you not know Krampus mom <laughs> like get into, everybody knows get into the no mom and I was like I guess me and Drew are just old and out of touch. <laughs> no. I 
always go home and end up talking about our podcast to Drew and I had to tell him the whole story. Yeah. (laughs) And now I'm still waiting until my oldest is out of town right now. But when uh, they get back, we're going to watch one of the Krampus movies. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it will become available. I'll pay for it on Apple or something for $4 for a night of spooky. Just tell your family that you're supporting your podcast host. There you go. I have to learn more about this now. It's okay. It's a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. So today... Yeah, what are we doing today? In this episode, we're going to be covering the tragic, catastrophic, triple disaster of the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami in Japan. I've heard vaguely, or I remember some details, mostly about the tsunami, if I remember right, about it like wiping out of town, but I don't know a lot of other details. Right. I didn't know either. And I'm going back to Japan. It's your <laughs> it's your happy place. It's my place for some reason. I'll go someday. <laughs> yeah, you should. Actually, I was invited next year. Oh, yeah. We'll see if it happens. I mean, I have a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to plan. it, And that's like a trip you want to be there for a good solid like 10 days or more if you can. I know. I don't know how to pull that off yet. But for the first time in my life, I just got my passport. Yay. Celebrate. So I feel like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. So this event is also sometimes referred to as the Great East Japan Earthquake or just 311. Like the band? No, (laughs) but I love 311. (laughs) I like the lead singer. But this event actually caused what was the Fukushima nuclear meltdown. That's never good. I want to provide, as I usually do, some history on the area first. Yeah. And what happened that day as well as the current state and maybe even dabble a bit with ghostly experiences since the event's So we're starting out in the Tohoku region of northeastern Japan. Okay. The region includes the northeastern portion of Honshu Island and the following prefectures. Akita, Aomori, Fukushima, Iwate, Miyagi, and Yamagata. The region is very scenic, but depending on the area, it can have some harsh weather. It can get very cold and snowy. Although Iwate has less variation being on the coast, temperatures typically are in the mid-30s Fahrenheit in the winter and 70s in the summer. It's crazy because Japan's not that large of an island. I know. Country, whatever. And it has such extreme weather there. I know. Which I think makes it so amazing. Unique. Yes. Yep. The climate and temperature comes into play later on, so I just wanted to mention that. Otherwise, I feel like that's a pretty temperate area. Yeah. Similar to 30 here. 30 to 70. Yeah. I mean, we get a little bit hotter and colder. Oh, we get a lot hotter. <laughs> we get up into 100 sometimes. Yeah. And we also get into, I remember when I first moved to Colorado, being like negative 18. I know. When it I, doesn't get that cold anymore, I don't feel like, but it did the first few years I was here. When did you move here? 2009 is when I moved here. So I've been here 14 years. So you've been here less than I have interestingly enough so I moved here in 2005 and I think it was in 2005 or 2006 where temperatures were just ridiculous and we had our blizzard yeah I wasn't here for the blizzard I heard about that but it was negative 18 and my oldest child had a Christmas concert that night and we all Mm -hmm. had to go out in the snow and I just remember thinking this is ridiculous like why would you have anybody out (laughs) and I had just moved from Texas so you know the coldest it gets there is like 30 or something (laughs) so I was 
just thinking that it felt unsafe. But then I just realized that's Colorado. That is Colorado. You go no matter what. Yeah. With the blizzard, it was a shock to my system because I'm from New Mexico and we're same elevation, just different areas. And I remember being like, fuck this blizzard because I was supposed to go home. And I shoveled my own self out. (laughs) (laughs) You were determined. I was like, I'm going home to see my family. (laughs) But my birthday is January. Yeah. Early January. And almost this entire time that I've lived here, there's like a couple weeks where we go negative. Mm -hmm. And it's right at my birthday. (laughs) Almost every single time. So I can't do anything super fun. Yeah. You're same as my oldest child's January 6th. So Yeah, exactly. We always had to plan an indoor party, which is kind of a bummer. (laughs) But some years I would just face it and I'd go out in a dress anyway and be like it's my fucking birthday okay now I have frostbite (laughs) but I look good that was when I was younger now I don't do anything at all now we just cry (laughs) getting older it's fun So in the Tohoku region today, there are about 8.4 million people, which is less than the roughly 9.3 million people recorded in 2010. Okay, because of this tragedy? The tragedy and displacement. Yeah, Yeah, it's hard to rebuild. Fukushima used to be the most populated area, but today it is the Miyagi Prefecture. Okay. On March 11th, 2011, it was a nice, chilly spring day. The ocean was calm. Many schools in the area were holding graduation ceremonies for students. Everyone was just about normal daily business. Yep. At around 2.40 p.m., an alert was issued for an earthquake, and everyone was to expect strong tremors. Okay. A 9.1 undersea megathrust earthquake occurred 45 miles east of the Oshika Peninsula off the coast of the Miyagi Prefecture in the Pacific Ocean. 9.1? Like That's a big earthquake. I was about to say, what is that in the, is it the Richter scale, whatever it's called? Like, Well, most major earthquakes are 7 to 7.9. So 9.1 is fucking huge. <laughs> Any that are 8 to 10 are considered great earthquakes with total destruction and massive loss of life. I watched a lot of footage and the ground was cracking apart. Oh my God. Roads were swaying back and forth like on top of the land. Have you ever seen that where it's like asphalt that's just like I have seen it on video. Thank God I have not seen it in person. I only experienced just a slight tremor when I was out in California and that was enough. Like my bed started shaking and yeah, earthquakes freak me out. Yeah. Everyone was still going about their day because it was tremors that they were expecting, but this was more. The shaking lasted a very long time. It would definitely feel like a very long time. Yeah. And it only grew in intensity. In Sendai, the shaking lasted for six minutes. Six minutes? Yeah. It's a long time. Aftershocks and tremors continued to happen after that, which meant it was time to go home or go somewhere safe. Everyone was told to stay away from larger buildings. Parts of walls and ceilings collapsed in a lot of areas. But this earthquake happened in the ocean. And what happens when an earthquake happens in the ocean sometimes? Uh, Tsunami. Tsunami. The only thing that could be worse than an earthquake, let's have a tsunami too. Right. This earthquake created a massive tsunami that no one could have prepared for. Mm. But before we get to that and the damage and loss that followed, I want to talk about the earthquake more. Earthquakes, like you said, they've always fascinated but scared me. (laughs) They scare the shit out of me, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I live in Denver, Colorado. I don't want to be anywhere near earthquakes. I used to travel for work out to San Francisco area. And I remember every time I would be on that bridge 
the Bay Bridge or yeah. the Golden Gate, I would always be like, please, no earthquake. Because to me, I couldn't think of anything scarier than being trapped. Yeah. On a bridge. On a bridge during an earthquake. And I've seen the footage of when it collapsed. So that's always in the back of my mind. Well, yeah, there's tons of movies, too, that are always going after the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I yeah, I think it was the double decker. I was actually the Bay Bridge that collapsed during one of the great earthquakes in San Francisco area and all the cars mm. fell on top of each other. And yeah, I don't know. There's also a lot of tunnels in Northern California. So I think about it there, too. Don't want to be in a tunnel. <laughs> so California is just off limits. I but feel I like we already there. know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't live there because I have this yeah, natural disaster fear. I'm also scared of tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Tsunami would probably be even more frightful oh, to me. Huge. Yeah. All we have here is just the volcano in Yellowstone to worry about. Oh, yeah. Yellowstone. You bring that up a couple times. Mm-hmm. In my brain, I'm always like, well, it'd be better to suffocate than be beat up by a tsunami and drown or... Yeah, agreed. If I had to choose... Let me choose. I'll like rank the ways that I would want to die in a natural disaster. Yeah, I think suffocation would be better than a tsunami throwing me into a building and then me drowning or something. It just sounds horrible. Yeah. Even lava. I mean, it's not like someone can speak to what it's like to die by (laughs) falling into lava. No. Well, I guess, you know. It'd be quicker. You just, that's what I was going to say. You want the way that just is the quickest and the least painful. (laughs) So I don't know. Anyway. Hopefully that's not the way I go out. We're happy to live in Colorado for this reason. (laughs) We just have to worry about a little snow here and there. It could be a lot of snow at some point. And then really what we'll have to worry about are predators. Animal predators. Oh. <laughs> and the man predators. <laughs> I was like, I'm not Either scared one. of the animals. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking into the future when we are all living for ourselves. In the apocalypse, I already told you I'm dying. I'm uh, not for this world. Kendra's just like going to bow out. I'm going to be the one that's... <laughs> You're going to be I'm going to make it through. I'm going to be like, wait, I have no hot water. I'll I create my own city <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Yeah, you have like all these ideas. I've watched enough movies. I'm like, fuck that. That is not my life. (laughs) Aw, I have to. Otherwise, my daughter will be alone. Yeah. So you don't care about your kids? I'm just kidding. I don't care about my kids at all. They're old (laughs) enough. They can fend for themselves. (laughs) They know this. We've had these conversations. They're good with it. They probably want to bow out too. You're like, well, as soon as something happens, mom's out. (laughs) Like I watched The Last of Us with my 16 year old. So we've had these discussions. That's funny. Watch my daughter's the one with like a cure in her blood. (laughs) (laughs) So this earthquake, though, was a recurrence of the 869 Japan earthquake that struck in the northern part of Honshu. Okay. It was estimated to have an 8.4 to 8.6 magnitude and was also followed by a tsunami. How long ago was that, did you say? 869. AD? Yes. Damn. So it had been a long time since they'd seen a huge earthquake. Okay. At least 1,000 people were swept away or killed in other ways from the damage. There was written record of this disaster and why some things are known. Other major earthquakes in this area resulting in tsunamis happened in 1896 and 1933. The northern area of Honshu lies above a convergent boundary between two tectonic plates that have been associated with major earthquakes, including an estimation of a great earthquake happening every 800 to 1100 years. So everyone knows and just hopes that they're not in that time frame. Right. In 2007, it was predicted that a massive earthquake was going to happen within 30 years. 
And that was fulfilled with the Tohoku earthquake in 2011. So just four years later, they were a little off. Right. But they did say within 30 years, that could be. They did. You never know. You don't know if anything else happened that caused that to speed up. Yeah. Everything's all related. But like if you hear within 30 years, human nature, we'd just be like, oh, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. It actually won't happen. Right. I'm going to move in 10 years. It'll be fine. (laughs) And then you forget. Yes. Then you just forget about it. Just get caught up in your daily mm-hmm. bullshit. Yep. The earthquake was so massive that if we were able to harness the seismic energy, it would power Los Angeles for an entire year. Wow. It was felt all over Japan at different intensities, even shaking skyscrapers in Tokyo. Whoa. It moved Honshu eight feet east towards North America. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. My brain's like <laughs> trying to compute that. It shifted the earth on its axis by estimates of between four and ten inches. Earth's rotation sped up by 1.8 microseconds, making the day 1.8 microseconds shorter. So this one earthquake just fucked shit up good. Yeah, and this was due to the redistribution of Earth's mass. A 250-mile stretch of coastline dropped down two feet, which allowed the tsunami to travel farther and faster onto land. It is estimated that the Pacific Plate, one of the two plates this area lies above, moved westward 66 to 130 feet and shifted the seabed toward the epicenter about 80 feet. The seabed off the coast of Miyagi was elevated 9.8 feet, and the seabed between the epicenter and the Japan Trench an oceanic trench part of the Pacific Ring of Fire of northeast Japan, moved 160 feet east-southeast and rose 23 feet. So this one thing could just change all kinds of, like you mentioned the Ring of Fire, and my brain just automatically goes to all the volcanoes that have yep. started going off. Or right. not, I don't know if they've gone off, but they've started becoming more active around the yeah. world. Like mm-hmm. This could all be connected. It could be. It is one symbiotic system. It's one big earth, yeah. Yep. Cracks formed in the roof of Mount Fuji's magna chamber. Okay, see? New fear. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of earth-shifting changes from one earthquake. Yep. This was the most powerful earthquake ever recorded in Japan and the fourth most powerful earthquake recorded in the world since modern seismography started in 1900. Yeah. So I just wanted to paint a picture of the magnitude of this quake before talking about what happens next. And now it makes so much sense why there's going to be, I'm sure, some very hard things to listen to. Yeah. So starting at 2.49 p.m., a massive tsunami warning was issued for Fukushima, Iwate, and Miyagi Everyone needed to get to high ground and fast. Watching videos of those by the coast, some just stood there. They weren't sure of which direction to run, which is scary. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Many with children. Sirens were blaring. Roads were jammed. Lights weren't working. Aftershocks were still happening. And it was starting to snow in some areas at the same time. Yeah, I guess that would be really disorienting. Yeah. Some people were trapped in their homes from the earthquake. Oh, no. From furniture and other items falling over everywhere and blocking their way out. Some people were only able to make it two to three floors up. And in some areas, people weren't sure of the size to expect. And despite guards and others yelling through speakers to evacuate areas and to get to high ground, they just stood there by the shore wanting to see it. People recording videos with their phones. Or just to witness a tsunami because not everybody sees tsunamis. And maybe don't realize how dangerous they are. Yeah. Some areas only had an eight to 10 minute warning to get to high ground. 
By 313 in areas where people were high up, they could see the shore. They mm-hmm. witnessed the water receding from the docks, Uh-oh. exposing the legs. Yeah. Then they saw the waves start to form off in the distance. And at 320, water started pouring into the cities. Mm. The earthquake created a tsunami 133 feet high at its peak that Damn. rushed towards the shore at 435 miles per hour. Oh, my God. Like, I can't even comprehend that. Like, I've been in the ocean with an eight foot wave. And that's massive when you're in the ocean and you look up at an eight foot wave. So 133 feet. Yeah, at its peak. Right. The height of the wave once it hit the shore was different in all areas, ranging from seven feet in many areas once it hit the shore some over 30 feet high and in some areas close to 50 feet. Oh my god. The water rushed over the seawalls including one that was considered to be the largest in the entire world at the time but they were not prepared for a tsunami of that magnitude. Over 400 miles of the coastline was flooded. Oh my god. Like Many even though they could have been higher were not expecting that amount of water. Yeah. Out of nowhere it rushed in. It picked up everything in its path. Cars, buildings, homes, trees, power lines. Water is scary how fast it can do those kind of like flash flooding. Because that's essentially what it is at that point, right? When it rushes in, it's just Mm -hmm. like this flash flood. Water is one of the scariest things to me. I watched a video a couple days ago just of the North Sea Mm -hmm. and how it can be for people who are just out there every day working. Really? I don't know anything about it. And it is scary. Just the The waves. Yeah. You don't fuck with the ocean. Like, oof. I like to go to the beach, but I will not go out very far because yeah. I realize the power that it has so and it much scares power. me. Like yeah. if I believe in gods, it's in that fucking ocean. I know. And <laughs> they say like we know more about space than we do about the depths of the ocean. And we don't even know about space. <laughs> we think we know. But yeah, there's some scary stuff down in the bottom of the ocean. I mean, there could be whole like colonies. Of, I think so. I mean, Lost City of Atlantis, which oh, I yeah. think would be a very interesting episode sometime. But I think that's not below us. I think it's past us. Oh, like up in Antarctica, that kind of thing. Beyond the ice wall. (laughs) Okay, Jon Snow. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real place. Anyway, future episode. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. So over 100 evacuation sites meant for this purpose were washed away, which oh, no. is really, really so crazy because people went there believing say, that they would be safe. So that's where everybody ran to. And then those places were not safe because no. they just weren't prepared for something of this magnitude. Yep. Everything became a rushing deadly soup. Oh, my God. People were still on the streets. In videos I watched, they were screaming and running and the water was right behind them. There's nowhere to go when the water's that close to you. <sighs> it's going to get you. Like, uh, yeah. This is when we need to invest in jetpacks. Inflatable clothes. Impenetrable mm, <laughs> inflatable clothes. <laughs> and a scuba mask. I don't know. like Something that covers your head. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the bubble boy. That's what we need. A big bubble. That would have helped. Mm -hmm. Like a hamster ball with oxygen. Mm -hmm. We always think of new ideas. If the podcast doesn't work, find us online making a hamster ball. Something that you just like stick on your head (laughs) like a beanie and you can push a button and it inflates your entire body. (laughs) And then you just roll with the punches and you're just like bouncing along and then it becomes like a fun joy ride (laughs) instead of something scary. Some of them might go to sleep. I feel like we do need those, though. We need to save some people. Yeah. So I also saw the tsunami surge into rivers as well. It was swallowing riverside homes, buildings, and farmland. See, I wouldn't even think about that, but it makes sense because it all Mm -hmm. just pulsates. The video footage I watched of the Notori River flood inland, it was a crazy thing to see. 
it moved so fast, but it was destroying everything. It was like this black mass of wood, boats and cars taking over the land. And on top of it all, there were fires roaring. Oh, my God. It's just it's the apocalypse for these poor people. Yeah. Fuck. In some areas around 330, the tsunami actually hadn't hit yet. People were still in their cars trying to flee. And then it came rushing in. Mm -hmm. Everyone was trapped. There was footage I saw of someone that was in one of those cars with a view from the ground. When it started, there was just it looked like it had been raining, like it was kind of wet. But within minutes, it was just surging. I don't know. But somehow this man managed to escape with his life. Lucky. And it was like semis crashing into each other, buildings being moved from their foundations, crashing into these cars. It was crazy footage. Just like the whole city coming at you at once. Yeah. And you're just in a floating car now. You're just praying and hoping that you somehow miraculously survive. I mean, in a way, it almost feels like the car's safer. (laughs) Yeah, it'll protect your body from getting hit by as long something. as it doesn't start filling with water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is another. I guess I have a lot of fears. <laughs> water is scary, <laughs> or being trapped in a car and water coming in. Like I love that water is so powerful. If you don't drink it, you die. Yes. If you drink too much, you, you die. die. <laughs> Swimming in it is good for your body, but having too much and, and you die. <laughs> you die. You can drown. It's powerful. Yes. Wow. At 4.15 p.m., the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant was hit by the tsunami. But we're going to hold off on that. Uh, We're not going to talk about it just yet because this was a triple disaster. But at the same time, there's still a lot going on with the flooding all around. And the Fukushima incident kind of plays out over a few days. I was going to say, it takes a little bit longer instead of just one big explosion. Right. But yeah, that's crazy. Like, add insult to injury. Mm -hmm. Yep. Just these poor, like, what did these poor Japanese people do to deserve all this? You're assuming that there is judgment upon them and there is (laughs) not. (laughs) Although that area does eat dolphins. Oh, fuck. It's the dolphins. (laughs) They're conspiring. The way you say that. Okay. Dolphins are smart. Yes, they are. (laughs) They are very spiritual beings. Japan, I might have some beef now. I watched a video about the dolphins and there's like this whole horrible, horrible history in Japan. And it's this one area that they have like dolphin hunting season and they massacre so many. I love the Japanese culture too, but there are some things that really bother me and that was one of them. Mm. Don't watch it. You'll cry. It's like so fucked up. Okay. But that's my uh, theory. Yeah, sure. It's the dolphin god. You said, you know, the gods live in the sea. And we have proof that they were trying to send ships, by the way, to the Palestinian coast. Okay. And the whales all gathered in that opening. It would not let the ships through. I love the orcas lately. They've been like going after the super rich yachts too. Ooh, cool. I thought you sent me one of those too. I probably did. I just know whales are like, I know who's good. I know who's bad. And (laughs) we're going to block your way because we're big as fuck and we can attack you. And they can. Well, they've also been blocking the billionaire yachts going in places and it was like a big joke that the orcas were like on our side. But now you tell me about this with the Palestinians mm-hmm. and I believe it even more. They literally blocked the opening into the strait that leads to the Palestinian. That's fucking amazing. Coast. Yeah. Go hug a whale. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not hug. <laughs> They'll probably eat you. Never mind. <laughs> Just love them from afar. <laughs> So back to it. By 4.16 p.m., the tsunami had flooded about 350 miles of land. Damn. About 230 miles away in Tokyo, 
Although there wasn't a tsunami, there was chaos. All train services were stopped. Roads were even more congested than normal with people everywhere and buses trying to help more people than they could service, even working overnight. Hmm. But I would definitely take their traffic issues and trying to find a way home over a tsunami over any day. Yeah. Yeah. At 530 in Iwate, as the water began to pull back and reveal what was under the water not too long before, damage was very evident and people were starting to find their way to get help. Thankfully, one of the hospitals was at a higher elevation and was undamaged. Good. Rescue efforts were starting to get underway. So many people were missing and many in high areas were unable to move. But the hospital was getting full and it got to capacity real quick, very quickly. Yeah. They created shelters where they could and all were packed. In many areas, electricity was out and there was no running water and it was freezing. This was spring, but at night temperatures dropped. It was only about 40 degrees during the day and now it was snowing. And aftershocks were still happening. After the earthquake, just on the first day, there were 221 aftershocks over a magnitude of five. That's like constant. Constant. 221? Like there's only 24 hours in the day. So that means it's like every five, 10 minutes. You're trying to survive and you're just constantly being shook. I would be like nauseous. Like, yeah, I just, I don't even know how you would orient yourself with all of this coming at you at once. Or what do you tell children? It's a ride. Those poor, I can't imagine trying to keep your kids calm yeah further into the night around 7 30 there were still fires raging and spreading the cities were on fire on top of water which is crazy in my mind i'm just thinking mass chaos yeah and it's night now like how are the emergency workers even nothing like where do you know how do you know where to start now (laughs) because there's nothing they can do and to try and find people at night you know yeah and now they had something more to worry about you know with the nuclear plant Without power, they couldn't cool down the reactors. Mm. They were on a verge of a meltdown. And this was at about 3 a.m. that they found out about this. Unfortunately, a lot went wrong in trying to make sure that there weren't explosions. And Mm -hmm. I will get to that. I keep kind of teasing it. Teasing (laughs) it. (laughs) But an evacuation near the plant was needed. At the time, it was just for one and a half to three mile radius. But two hours later, it extended to a roughly six mile radius. And that included about 40,000 people, and which they didn't even start evacuating until 9 a.m. that morning. No. But I get it. There's a lot Where are they going to even on. evacuate to, probably? I know. You just you have to get further away from this whole section. You got to go south. You're just going to start running into the woods? Like <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what I would do, honestly. I don't know. Run into the woods. As time went on that day, people started to go out by air and foot to see the extent of the damage. Entire cities were destroyed. The damage was unreal. Yeah. In areas where all buildings were gone except a few, it's because they were tall enough and strong enough to stay standing and there were people on roofs on those. Yeah. They were the lucky few that made it through the tsunami. In many areas, it was still flooded and over 20,000 people were waiting to be rescued. Oh, my God. Helicopters started to fly around trying to look for people, but it was really difficult to see anyone in the debris. Yeah, everything would kind of blend together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Areas that they could search from the ground, they did. They were moving rubble and debris out of the way, trying to search for anyone that was alive. They did find some somewhere in buildings, some were found in cars, but all for the most part were hurt and frozen. Mm -hmm. A helicopter was also on its way to rescue people from the Okawa Elementary School, Uh part of the Miyagi Prefecture. 
And to tell this part of what happened, we actually have to go back to when the earthquake happened. So quick rewind. Okay. One elementary school, the Okawa Elementary School, was hit particularly hard. Oh, no. What's really sad about this school is that when the earthquake and tsunami hit, where most of the parents lived, it was outside of this area. And where they lived, everything for the most part was okay. Okay. So they weren't as worried. So they just thought the kids kids were were staying in the school until it was over. Because after seeing that none of the homes were heavily damaged in their area, parents weren't extremely concerned Mm -hmm. because the school itself was a large concrete building and it was protected by a huge hill that no tsunami should be able to get over. Okay. They honestly thought that the children were far safer in that school than at home. Mm -hmm. So they ended up still going to the bus stop, though, because school was out and the bus never arrived. Oh, no. Later, listening to a local channel, they heard about the school and that they were just awaiting rescue because they weren't able to leave. Okay, so like something had trapped the road or something. So they were worried about their children being scared and cold and hungry. They knew that they were alive and they were going to get rescued soon. Yeah. But what they found upon trying to rescue them later was more than anyone imagined. It's going to be sad. Parents were still unaware of what happened, but the next morning they heard about the helicopter was going to go get the kids. And so they all started to make food. They gathered jackets and blankets and all got together in one area and they were waiting for their children to be safely dropped off to them because they wanted to have their kids back, (laughs) comfort them, feed them. But as time went on, even though they saw countless helicopters going back and forth, they didn't come. Oh, no. Word was that they were supposed to be landing at the school Mm -hmm. around 11 a.m. to start bringing everyone from the school back towards other areas. And it was well past that. The parents waited for four hours before a group of men got together to find some way to try and get to the school themselves to see what was going on. They drove through other small areas that also seemed to be fine, but it wasn't until they hit an area where the river was supposed to be, and instead of a river, it was now essentially an opening to an ocean. Oh my God. So it completely washed that area out? Washed that area out. Of the survivors, a boy spoke about what he had experienced. Even though lessons stop at around 2.30, a lot of children were still inside the school doing various things when the earthquake hit. Okay. When it did, they all took shelter under their desks. When it stopped, they all put on helmets and went outside. With everyone outside, they lined up in their classes and sat down so that the teachers could do a roll call and make sure that all of the kids were accounted for. Mm -hmm. Younger children were scared and crying with teachers trying to console them. Some of them even threw up. Yeah. Poor babies. Yeah, they want their mommies and their daddies. (sighs) They experienced the aftershocks and they were growing even more scared. At 2.49, they learned of the tsunami that was on its way and that they needed to get to higher ground. Yeah. So for all schools by the sea, in case of emergency, they were supposed to follow what was the education plan, which instructed the teachers to take the children up steep paths and cliffs to higher ground, higher ground to the top of a hill. But the teachers were left to decipher what they were supposed to do at the school because this section in their rule book had not been edited to be specific to the Okawa school. Oh. Instead, it just said primary evacuation place, school grounds. Secondary evacuation place, in case of tsunami, vacant land near school or park, etc. Okay. It was extremely vague and they didn't know where to take the children. And to them, at the time, there was no obvious place for safety, but we'll see that that's not true. But these adults have grown up in an area by the sea their whole lives. They would have, I would think... 
it would just be like common knowledge if you're growing up there you go up a tsunami yeah you go water like, coming from the ocean you go we higher we even know this living in Colorado because we do get flash flooding in the canyons and it's always go up yeah climb as high as you can you can't go high enough during a water event really right and even one of the students, an older student, stood up and told them that they need to run up the hill. Smart kid. And warned if they stayed there that the ground could open up. Mm-hmm. So some of these kids started running towards Good. the hill. Yeah. But they were yelled at and brought back to sit down uh, until teachers could decide what the best option was. What would the teachers have been able to do? Those kids could have just kept running. I'm going to teach my kids just keep doing what you know is right. It's hard because it's they're hard. responsible for them the at the respect. same time. Yeah. Oh, and you think the adults know better. Yeah. And at the same time, parents of some of the kids the ones that didn't take a bus started to show up did they get their kids some of them did good but there were so many differing opinions going on about what to do and Mm. that creates chaos yeah because the school itself was an evacuation spot for the city. So then you would assume it's safe. Right. Like, just stay here. We're going to be fine. And parents were told to, like, essentially be quiet when they were raising their voice about it. But thankfully, some of these parents did take their kids. That'd be me. <laughs> Most <laughs> like, definitely. I, I appreciate some... your opinion, but I'm going to take my kid. Exactly. If anything's happening in my city, mm-hmm. I'm immediately going to that school. And if they're going to say, you can't go, i be like, fuck Watch you. Me. Watch, Watch me. me go get my kid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is my child that I birthed and I'm taking them. Yes. So you would assume like in a way they're not taking it as seriously as they need to be in this moment. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just them. There were cars that were rushing throughout the city with speakers on their cars yelling at everyone to run and get to higher ground. And a couple of these drivers that made it just remember that people were just kind of standing about like looking at them like, okay, like with no sense of urgency whatsoever. I just don't understand that. I feel like there were just a lot of differing thoughts that were happening during this entire event. People were not prepared or knew that such a thing of that magnitude could happen to them with the other safety procedures that were put in place for these areas. Yeah, I guess, yeah, this is something that's just unprecedented. Yeah. The school deputy head, Mr. Ishizaka, decided that they should all go to the traffic island. Okay. I don't know why, because this was toward the river and the shore. Oh, no. That sounds like the worst. He got them all in a line and told them not to rush. But down the road, those that were in front saw a black mass of Uh water coming towards them and then the white of the water crawling over that. Some of them stood still in fear, but a lot of them started to turn around and start running in the other direction. Yeah. But sadly, the children that were in the back of the line, they were the younger ones and they didn't know what to do. And they were still essentially running towards the water. Those poor babies. Those who ran away first were able to escape it. Not many, but a few of them were able to get up the hill and climb up. Oh, my goodness. I just. But most of the children were taken away. Just washed away. Washed away. When others finally got to the school, they saw this horrific sight because in the mud there were pine from trees sticking out as well as children's legs and arms from the mud and the rubble. And one by one, they were taken out, those that they could find. They dug out 10 children on the first day, including some other adults. They spent three months looking through the mud for bodies because it took that long. Oh, my God. The Okawa Elementary School lost 74 of 108 children that day and 10 of 13 of the teachers. That's insane amount. Like, so hardly anyone got away. Some of the kids weren't even in school that day. So we don't know the number of 
who was present that right. yeah, didn't make it. And of all those that died that day in that area, only 75 were children and 74 were from that school. It was just the wrong place. Just wrong time. absolutely devastating. And the adults did not come through for those poor kids. No, because they were literally not knowingly, of course, marched to their own deaths. Yeah, they walked right into the river. Yeah. It came out later that the municipal hazard map did not include the city it was not listed as an area of coastline vulnerable to a tsunami, which oh. is really dumb because it's on the coast. That All of Japan is like, at risk of a that's tsunami. That's what I'm saying. Like, everybody I'm should confused. be educated. That's why I was confused. Like You would think all of them were educated, but it sounds like they weren't because yeah. their city and government failed them with that education. It wasn't considered at all when creating the school's disaster manual, and there had been no tsunami evacuation drills that were done. Wow. The teachers at the school simply just were not prepared, nor did they understand the true danger that they were facing. If the kids had immediately started climbing that hill, which you would think would be the common sense thing. It just makes sense. Regardless, yeah. they would all still be here today. That's devastating. So sad. Those poor parents. In 2014, 23 of the children's parents sued the city. Mm, as they should. Yeah. And in 2016, they won and were awarded around $13.5 U.S. But that does the ever. equivalent anyway. Yeah. You can get all the money in the world. It's not gonna it's not gonna bring your bring kid back. back. Like yeah. And it was a matter of minutes. That's yeah, that would be absolutely like Well, here's what sucks. So I I've seen a map mm-hmm. of where this school is, where the hill is, where the tsunami came in. Yeah. And it makes no sense where they started walking. Because the hill was literally right behind them. This is behind where the children were sitting, waiting for people to tell them what to do. Like, right behind them. And then he's like, let's walk that way downhill. Let's go downhill. It makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, if you're in a chaotic situation and you don't know what to do, you're just going to try and take your kids somewhere. I don't know. They it's, just had to yeah. go up. It makes it's no sense. It's unimaginable to they me. That could have even gone to the roof of the building. They All right. the kids would be okay. That's the other thing you know to do during flooding or like never go down. Like as soon as you started walking and you realize you're going down, you're probably like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. I would think this guy must have just moved to Japan. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> So that was a rough part of what happened. Yeah, that's a horrible, horrible story. But back to March 12th, around 4.30 p.m., they were still looking for and finding people, but there were still about 10,000 people or more that were missing. Mm-hmm. But the shelters were now overwhelmed and already running out of supplies, food and water. And at 4.52 p.m., news came that there was an explosion at the nuclear plant. <laughs> I just, yeah, this is like... And then this happened. And then this (laughs) happened. And then the worst thing ever happened. (laughs) And the unit one building of the plant, there was a hydrogen explosion. Mm. And this happened after a big aftershock that occurred around 3.30 p.m. But no one knew what it meant yet. And if there was a leak, evacuation was extended again to a roughly 12 and a half mile radius with Mm -hmm. more than 80,000 people that were being required to leave their homes. And this included critically ill hospital patients. Oh, wow. All having to be moved by bus. Sadly, many of the people died from dehydration or other causes or injuries during this transportation. Those that made it to the evacuation sites were tested for radiation. Were most of them okay? Did they get out in time? Except those that were already injured before they died because they should be not moved. (laughs) Oh, the critically ill. yeah. Yeah, yeah. On the third day on March 13th, many people were still missing or isolated without supplies, 
rescue missions were in full swing again. Thankfully, they received more help in the efforts. At first, they only had about 20,000 people that were helping, and that was increased to 50,000 because time was running out for a lot of people. It had already been a few days. Yeah. They don't have supplies. They knew the location of some of the missing, but they had to figure out a way to get there because there weren't roads anymore. Mm. Tons of debris was in the way. Yeah. They had to come up with plans on how to get each group of people helicopters were still being used but that took time and they could only bring up one person at a time yeah helicopters are like the slowest way <laughs> people that were isolated and located by the helicopters were taking care of each other and sometimes they would point in a different area so that the helicopter would go save someone else that they had knew been needed. watching yeah. over a couple of days and knew needed more help than they did yeah that's selfless and yeah that's good to hear I guess during times of tragedy I would say throw down a sandwich though just kidding yeah while you're here <laughs> can you give me an extra blanket I'm fucking freezing no but that's good yeah, yeah. especially if imagine how helpless you feel if you're in a house and you can see someone just like stuck yeah under something and they're trying so hard to stay alive and there's nothing and you, you can can't do. get to them because there's water or yeah. debris or whatever it's really hard to imagine all of this Another sad thing, though, is those that were helping in the discovery efforts, 18 of them did die and 420 were injured overall. Yeah, it's dangerous. They're it's moving dangerous. debris and getting, yeah, or going into water areas that are sharper objects, than they thought. Like, like you all just kinds don't of know. things. Yeah. Well, good for them for doing the best they could. Yeah. Sad. At this point, there was an ongoing issue at the nuclear plant mm. with an impending meltdown of three of the six nuclear reactors. It was considered to be one of the worst nuclear disasters in history. Mm. So we're going to take a step back again to see what happened at the plant and what led to the meltdown and what happened after all of this. I'm guessing Chernobyl was the one that was worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The well, worst we'll ever. We'll explain why. Yeah. Okay. So when the earthquake hit, the reactor shut down. This was meant to happen. The system detected the earthquake and they automatically shut down. Mm -hmm. The backup generators are supposed to immediately come up to keep coolant pumping around the cores. Even though they were shut down, they were extremely hot. The generators did come on and everything seemed to be okay at first. And at the time, reactors 1, 2, and 3 were active while reactor 4 had been defueled and 5 and 6 were in what was called cold shutdown for planned maintenance. Okay. That was until the tsunami hit. Workers were all over the property when this happened and in different parts of buildings. They were trying to assess the damage of the quake. And when the tsunami hit the nuclear plant, it was 46 feet high. Oh, my God. It hit the plant with a rush. It flooded the plant and it knocked out those generators. Oh. Some were caught in the water. Some almost died, but somehow managed to find their way back to the control room, which was pitch black. It had no windows. So in the control room, they didn't even know that a tsunami had hit. Oh, God. Until soaking wet workers barged through the doors. Oh, no. But even then, still, they didn't know the extent of the damage, and they needed to figure that out fast and make a plan. On site that day, there were a number of workers, including a man by the last name Umumatsu, mm -hmm. a veteran electrical engineer who was 60 years old at the time. He wasn't a regular plant worker, but he was there that day because of his expertise for other reasons. Okay. And when the tsunami hit and took out the generators, Umumatsu rushed to the plant's earthquake-proof building where they had an emergency response room, and it was 115 feet above sea level. 
As for most people on this planet, this was the first time Umumatsu had to deal with such a crisis. Yeah. Without any source of power to pull from, they came up with a plan to get a vehicle-mounted generator and tons of hefty-duty cables hooked up to restore power. That's a smart idea. But there were some issues with that. In order to do this, they needed to get a truck to the reactor building, but there was so much debris and rubble brought by the tsunami surrounding the reactor that they couldn't get there. Mm. Not only that, but there were fissures in the asphalt. It was uneven and it was impassable. Some of the height differences were three feet high. Yeah, that's (laughs) you're not driving up that. That's like a road course situation. You need like a four-wheeler crawler. I don't know. With the state of everything the way it was, how were they going to fix the road? Yeah, what are they going to do? Well, there was another man on site that day. That was a ninja, and he could climb <laughs> generator on his back. His name was Yoshishige Toshimoto. He also did not work for the plant. He was 51 years old, and he was there as a subcontractor doing seismic retrofitting work. Okay. So the plant's lucky that these two guys just happened to be there. You have no idea. Okay. After the earthquake and tsunami, he and his workers, all alive, thankfully, gathered and decided that it was time for them to go home. Yeah, go see their families. Well, none of them knew if their families were okay. Right. That would be my first thought if I was at work or somewhere. Yeah. I didn't want to be. <laughs> Get me out of here. I want to go see my I'm a subcontractor. Yeah. I don't owe you anything. I don't know you people. I don't <laughs> want to hang out with you in a disaster. Sorry. Yeah. But Toshimoto's car was washed away in the tsunami, so he needed to get a ride from someone. Oh. But before leaving, he saw that their company's excavator was still there and it seemed to be undamaged. Okay, that's something good. that he noticed. Mm-hmm. It took him two hours to get home. Once he got home and made sure that his family was okay, he got a call from the plant oh. and they wanted him to come back. They needed his help with the excavator to help make the grounds passable for the vehicle-mounted generator. Okay, that would do it. So he made his way back. This was around 7.30 p.m. that day. He thought he would be gone maybe a few hours, but it was much more. He was there for a week. (laughs) (laughs) As they waited for him to get back and get started on that, others were sent to start repair work on the different units while Umumatsu gathered a team to explain how to route the cables because it wasn't an easy task. Yeah. The cables were special high voltage cables called triplex. They could not be drug along the floor and if they did they would be damaged so it required a decent team because each three feet of cable weighed 13 pounds. Ouch. And from the truck to the power panel inside they had to cover a distance of almost 430 feet which is how yeah how are they gonna do that yeah. Over the next three hours Toshimoto worked on fixing the road and he was able to get it fixed enough for cars to pass over. Toshimoto is not mentioned much in just recounting what happened with all of this that day. But he really should be because without him, they wouldn't have been able to do anything. Nothing. Yeah. Thank God he found that excavator. The team was able to reach the reactor building around midnight. Then he and others continued removing rubble from around the buildings. So this seems good, right? Yeah. We're going in a positive direction. Well, making progress. It didn't exactly go as planned. 
radiation levels were several tens of times higher than normal inside of the building of Unit 1. Oh, yeah. Enclosing the reactor holding the nuclear fuel was a containment vessel, and the pressure on that steel was about to exceed its maximum. Mm, not good. If the workers did not complete connecting the generators and cables quickly, they would be exposed to lethal doses of radiation. Oh, no. All of the workers were very scared. <laughs> well, yeah. And, yeah, rightly so. And they were being led by a man that wasn't a regular plant employee. Mm-hmm. He would have gone home if they didn't need him, but they did. So they needed Umatsu's specific skills to pull this off. Mm-hmm. And it was a duty to take on, even though he had a wife and children at home, and he didn't know what was happening with them uh-huh. at this time. But he just knew this was the bigger crisis yeah. to focus on. The for- plant was nearing meltdown, and he knew yeah. it was his responsibility to save others. Otherwise, All the what, good of everyone. Yeah. Why would they put him in this position? Mm-hmm. So they got to work and they laid out the cables. It could have been done rather quickly, but they were constantly interrupted by magnitude four to five aftershocks. Oh, God. One after another. And each time they had to evacuate the area and that slowed them down I tremendously. Bet. And what did we say earlier? They were happening like every 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an impossible situation. It is. Around 3 a.m. that morning, this is when they started issuing those evacuations that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. The signs were all there that a meltdown had begun. Yeah. And at the same time, it was announced that workers were instructed to vent the reactor. Because if they could release some of the pressure, maybe they would still have enough time to restore power to be able to yeah. cool it down. They needed to or a large amount of radioactive material was going to be scattered. Mm -hmm. The venting would too, but hopefully only within the areas that were evacuated. Yeah. Venting was very dangerous, though. It required opening a valve, which meant getting really close. Oh, somebody has to do that? They put together what they called suicide squads. That doesn't sound like a job you'd want to sign up for. They had two teams. They were able to open the valve for one of them, but not another. As they approached the other one, the radiation was off the charts and they had no choice but to turn back. Yeah. So they had to try from the outside and continue with their plan to restore power. Around six in the morning, Umumatsu's crew started in full force trying to connect the cable while others were working on venting. And while doing this, Umumatsu called the emergency response office to give them an update. Okay. He had poor cell reception, so he was walking around the building looking for better service. He didn't realize it then, but he ended up stopping near an exhaust tower. Oh, no. It was at this exact same time that the team succeeded in opening the valve from the outside. (gasps) And highly radioactive steam rushed out of the exhaust and he was irradiated. Oh, no. Japanese law sets the maximum exposure level at less than one millisievert per year, which is 0.0027 millisieverts per day. And in that moment, Umumatsu was exposed to 80. Poor man. Oh, my God. Like, what do you do? You, like, know that you just got a death sentence. Well, he knew what just happened, but he didn't have time to focus on it. Yeah. He had more to do. The vent was opened around 2.30 p.m. on March 12th. After this, they continued to work and finally connected the power cables. Now they just needed to connect the generator. Mm -hmm. But to do this, they needed permission to connect. Oh, God, no. Even in a matter of emergency, you need to be approved for what you're doing. I'm already going to get angry. I get (laughs) mad at work. Just process for the sake of process bullshit. (laughs) Like, oh, no. So they all headed up to the emergency response office. 
Okay. Umumatsu, he wasn't a regular plan employee after all. And this was a big deal. Yeah, so I, I could see that. He can't but just also, do what he wants. You're in the middle of a fucking nuclear reaction. Exactly. Meltdown, dude. Like, Yep. And just as they got there at 3.36 p.m., there was a hydrogen explosion that shook the Unit 1 reactor. Oh, man. Somehow, the hydrogen within the reactor caught on fire. Concrete chunks from the building flew across the entire area of the nuclear reactor at tremendous speeds. Oh, Rubble and insulation was falling from the sky and everyone outside rushed into fire engines on site. They waited inside holding their breath for (laughs) 10 minutes or more, Mm. waiting for the pollutants to pass by, which I question. I'm like, why 10 minutes? (laughs) Seems like it would be in the air for a little while. That's probably part of their procedure. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, there were five workers that were injured at this time. Mm -hmm. And with that, the option to connect the generator was no longer an option because the power cables that they had spent so much time setting up were shredded. That's infuriating. All because they had to go call somebody that's not there and doesn't know the situation to be like, oh, yeah, I'll give you my approval. Obviously, this is his biggest regret because, you know, he also says, I didn't work there, really. Had yeah. someone been down there, someone of the level like that needed to be down or whatever, there, yeah. or if they just said, hey, once it's ready, connect it. Just do it. Then we would have been able to do it. But people now were hesitant. he feels responsible that he should have just done it anyway. I know. But, but that's a lot of different things to go through in one moment. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And of course, we can all look back and, or even me sitting here like, yeah. well, why didn't you fucking do it? But you don't know how you're going to react in a situation. No. And you don't know that you're literally on the brink of it no. exploding in that very moment they they may have thought they had another hour right so you can't blame the guy but just like the guy that took the kids down to the river yeah they made horrible decisions in the time of tragedy unfortunately yeah so after the hydrogen explosion happened work had to continue Mm -hmm. because there wasn't a meltdown yet and they needed to do anything and everything that they could to stop it from happening yeah Umumatsu continued to work to connect the power supply, but on March 14th, he was sent away because of his radiation exposure. They didn't want him around other people or? No, he had just had too much. Oh, because it it would would just keep building up the longer he was there. He was no longer allowed to work on site. He was finally able to speak to his family, which was good. And they were all good? They were good. I'm glad to hear that. Except for he came home and he's like, by the way. Well, he didn't get to go home. He had to oh. go somewhere else. Uh, we just for got a to while. watch him on the phone yeah. or something. He actually was allowed to return to the plant a week later. He wasn't allowed to work, but he was trying to help with food for the workers because he was invested now and he just wanted to do his part in helping. He's already been roasted with radiation. <laughs> What's it gonna hurt? He's like, I've already gotten whatever how many times. Yeah. Like I'm I'm a dead man anyways. So. And he spent three days without sleep trying yeah. to make this work. He so wants he to knows see it that. Everyone else is doing the same thing now. Yeah. So back to Toshimoto, the man with the excavator. Mm -hmm. After the explosion and debris, he went back to trying to clear the way for vehicles. Like he just cleaned it all up and now it's all a mess again. (laughs) He's like, damn it. And he knew that he was being exposed, but exposure at this level was better than the alternative. He knew that he had a mission. Because this was his home. This is where he lived, this actual city. This is where he's from. Yeah, he knew everyone in the community. Mm -hmm. And the nuclear plant, it provided a lot of jobs to the town that no one had otherwise. So all of it was very important to him. And he didn't only help with removing radioactive rubble. 
He also helped to evacuate others. He drove a bus back and forth, taking people to shelters outside of the zone. And he also helped to find water accumulated around the area to take it back to a fire engine because they now had a goal to cool down the reactors by just inserting water. Oh, okay. So he's doing a lot. He was doing a lot. As he and others were filling a water tank, a group of six people from the Self-Defense Forces, which was a group that arrived who were specialized in dealing with chemical weapons and stuff like that. Okay. They headed toward Unit 3 and then... Boom. Oh, no. On March 14th at 11.01 a.m., there was a hydrogen explosion at Unit 3. Again, concrete exploded and fell from the sky. Four of the six of those people heading toward the reactor were seriously injured, and 11 total were injured. After this, even though Toshimoto and his crew started to clean up again, radiation increased significantly, and they were ordered to leave that night. Yeah. So he handed over his excavator buddy and he left. Mm -hmm. But just like Umumatsu, he didn't get to go home. The next day, there was another explosion above Unit 4. Oh, my goodness. So, but like Umumatsu, Toshimoto returned to the plant after a couple weeks. And while away, he spent his time learning how to remotely operate a concrete pump for injecting water into the reactor's spent fuel pool. Well, that was good use of time. Yeah. He's just trying to help in every way that he could, too. Yeah. It's just interesting that these are people that aren't actually employed. <laughs> but they're like, there is a crisis about to happen. Right. That's going to wipe out. I don't know. How many people would that the whole country of Japan? I, I don't mean, even it know. It could be really bad. Yeah. Starting on March 17th, they started making efforts to restore power. And by the 22nd, power was restored to all six units. It was later identified that in the days following the explosions, as the water boiled away in the reactors and the water levels in the fuel pod pools dropped, the reactor fuel rods overheated severely. And ultimately, there was a full meltdown of the nuclear reactors one, two, and three. Okay. There just wasn't an explosion of the fuel rods. I'm realizing as I listen to you, I know absolutely nothing about nuclear power <laughs> and how it works. Well, if the fuel rods had exploded rather than melted down, like slowly melted down over a lot of heat, it would have been more like Chernobyl. I was about to say, it would have been more like a boom explosion. Right. Because it melted down over several days yeah, versus getting better. super, super heated really, really, and, really fast yeah. and then boom. If it wasn't for the efforts by so many to cool these reactors, really, it would have been worst case. Half of Japan would have been destroyed. Wow. Including Tokyo, where there are 37 million people oh living today. It would have become uninhabitable. Just ghost town. And it's how the largest you, city in the how world. How do you ghost town 37 million yeah. people? That's crazy. That's what I'm saying. Largest city in the world yeah. would have just been off the map. Yikes. Thankfully, there were no deaths caused by acute radiation. That's good. Death in the future from cancer can't be ruled out, of course. Yeah. There has been one death of a worker that is believed to be connected to this. He died in 2018 of lung cancer from radiation exposure. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there have been six recorded to have developed cancer or leukemia. Yeah. There were other deaths quite a bit, but it's not directly related to radiation. It's believed to be because of contributing factors, mainly displacement of the sick and the elderly. 
because they had to then live in degraded conditions and they didn't have their normal support systems. Right. A lot of people were displaced. Yeah, that's hard. You don't even, you know, you survive the crisis or whatever, but then there's just so much time to rebuild that you're not living your normal life and getting your normal medicines and your normal care. And because we, we stop and we think about all the chaos that's happening, but you forget that people have a schedule to their lives and that is needed for them to live. Right. It's completely disrupted and there's nowhere to go to get that back on track for a while because society has broken down. Yeah. It wasn't until December 16th, 2011, that the plant was declared stable. Okay. But the plant continues to pose a lot of risks. So much has happened there since the meltdowns. It is a constant effort to clean up. Mm -hmm. The debris from the meltdowns is still underground inside the plant and is estimated to be about 880 tons. That's a lot. Still to this day, it is emitting lethal doses of radiation. So it can't be cleaned up, let alone approached by humans. Right. What are you going to do? The only way to clear it is with robots, and even the robots are dying. So, <laughs> oh my God. when you kill robots, you know it's fucked. <laughs> it's going to take decades to yeah. decontaminate the surrounding areas and to be able to actually completely decommission the plant altogether. Yeah. It really is hard for some today, those that worked so hard to stop all of this, to feel like a lot of it wasn't in vain because there were still meltdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, they stopped it from being even more catastrophic. They really did. And since it has offered a lot of information and making sure that there are ways to stop this from happening in the future. Yes, that's super important. Yeah. Experts stated that the amount of radioactivity released into the atmosphere was only about one tenth as much as what was released during the Chernobyl disaster. Okay. But significant amounts of radioactive material was released into the ground and ocean waters. Oh, poor fish. Yeah. And dolphins. I know. And whales. Our Ah. helpers. They love us and we keep poisoning them Uh, so much so that there was a ban for the sale of food grown in the area for quite a while yeah i wouldn't want that food and it was recommended in tokyo to not use tap water for children or infants Mm. but coupled with the earthquake and tsunami it is a wonder how any of these areas really recovered honestly This was so much for one country to overcome. It all happened in one day, really. Yeah, I mean, and it affected like 10 million people all at once. Like, how do you start? Where do you put those people while you start rebuilding? Just the cleanup alone in a lot of these areas. Yeah. It's just rubble. There's nothing you can do. And you got to get all of that out of the way before you can start rebuilding from the ground up. And then you have to be like, do I even want to rebuild here? And then a lot of these areas you can't even go to anymore because of radio Activity. Yeah. But who's at fault? Personally, I want to blame the earthquake. I was going to say Mother Nature. Mother Nature <laughs> and the tsunami. That day. But in a situation like this, you have to look at everything and critics blame the lack of preparedness. Yeah. For a coastal city that knows that they're on a tectonic plate that was expecting a major event in the next 30 years, I agree. They could have been more prepared. I know. It is hard because how do you prepare for what is the biggest earthquake and tsunami that you've ever experienced? For example, even like think about America. Are we ready? You know, we all talk about L.A., San Francisco, like the big ones coming out there. Are we really doing anything to get ready for it other than just going? No, everybody's going to happen. It's going to suck. Everybody is doing exactly how a lot of these people acted. We're just caught up in our day to day and like, Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Not my lifetime. My kids, but that's okay. I don't have to worry about that now. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully they'll be okay. 
But there was an investigation by Japan's parliament, and they did conclude that it was a man-made disaster. And we're talking about Fukushima. Okay, just the nuclear. Well, yeah, because we don't have to do nuclear power. But there are reasons for this. The company that was in charge is in charge of the nuclear plant, TEPCO, which stands for Tokyo Electric Power Company, disregarded risks that were brought to their attention. Oh, okay. In 1991, they were told that they could lose all power if flooded. Mm. They did nothing to change that. In fact, there was a flood situation that caused one of the backup generators to fail later that year. And they still did nothing. They didn't do anything and they were warned again. No action was taken other than to install some doors that they assumed would stop the water. Doors aren't going to stop water. And the government's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Cool. Those are the best (laughs) doors in the world. Good job. (laughs) Are they waterproof? Do they stop the ocean from coming in? Come on. In my opinion, obviously, these generators are in the wrong area then. There needs to be a different place for them. Yes, that would have been one possibility. My question is, why did they even build it there? I mean, they know that's an area that has earthquakes and fucking tsunamis. Let's build a nuclear plant right there. I think no matter what, it's a risk because these plants need easy access to a lot of water. And then they pollute the water that they have access to. Like, I I don't know. There's a whole controversy. I understand it's a clean energy, they Mm -hmm. say, but there's so much risk with it. Yep. Because in 2004, they were told that tsunamis bigger than planned were were possible in coming years, but no protocols changed again. And in 2006, a study was done on the plant and they were told that they were not prepared for what they called a super tsunami, like the one that hit in 2011, but they didn't do anything. Of course. And in 2008, there was a similar study that was done again. And again, they were told to prepare for a large tsunami. They didn't take it seriously and nothing was done. And then on March 11, 2011, it happened and they were not prepared and they lost all power and their generators were gone. Like how many warning signs do you need, guys, to fix your shit? (laughs) Yeah. But in 2019, a Japanese court cleared them of negligence. Um, Did they pay them off? I don't know. It was the only criminal case that came from this disaster. Because what can really be said of that? All of the workers at the plant, they worked their butts off. Yeah, they did everything they could. It's not their fault that their company was cheap. Yeah, they worked for days on end, months on end, and for years, really, to make sure that it wasn't this countrywide incident. Right. I mean, they were heroes. They are. Honestly, like they to save this. Yeah. Chernobyl happening again. They, they really yeah, did. They deserve all the accolades and money. I hope they got money. No. Of course Maybe not. they got some bread. I don't know. They got a pat on the back and a little <laughs> medal around their exactly. neck. So now today, Fukushima, along with a few other northern towns, are off limits. Okay. Cleanup continues every day so that someday some of the people can return to the area. But that in and of itself is a real challenge. Tens of thousands of workers will be needed over the next 30 to 40 years to safely remove all of the nuclear waste, including the fuel rods and more than a million tons of radioactive water that is still at the site. This is so frustrating to me right now because I think about how companies, corporations, whatever, cut corners Mm -hmm. when it comes to safety, usually to save money. And now look how much devastation is from this and the amount of money it's now taking when they could have just, like you said, moved the fucking generator somewhere or put it somewhere else. There were other ways that they could have prepared for this. As far as I understood it, it was like in the basement. I'm like, why would the, why would the generators be in the basement area? 
I get it. Generators can maybe only go so far. I, yeah, I, I hang it know, from the roof. I don't know. Like put it above. They're in Japan with like some of the smartest people in the whole fucking right. world. They yeah. probably could have figured it out. It, I'm sure mm-hmm. it came down to money that they didn't want to spend. And they're like, ah, oh, we're okay. I mean, it's good sp- enough. Speaking of cutting corners, maybe we're doing something a little bit too soon because just in August of this year, they started pumping more than a million metric tons of treated radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean. Oh, no. The water is heavily filtered, they say. Uh-huh. But of course, we don't trust it. That scares people. I don't trust that. And there's critics. You know, we have Greenpeace and fishing unions throwing their hands up. They say that they filtered out isotopes. Okay. But tritium is left, which is a radioactive isotope of hydrogen that they can't separate. Awesome. They dilute the water enough until the levels of tritium fall below regulatory limits. <laughs> this mm. happens routinely around the world with other nuclear plants. I don't want to hear this. Sorry. Like- this is why this is happening. This is why we all are getting sick because it's of in all of the fish we eat. You and I were just talking like we wake up and our noses are completely plugged. I always sound Every like day. I'm dying. <laughs> I don't know why. Every single time we start to record this episode, I'm, I'm a hag and then I turn into having a voice and then I turn into oh. a hag again and I just am constantly chronically ill. It's all the shit floating around in the air. God fucking knows what we're breathing. I'm not going to blame it on my cat. It's It's never the animals. Okay. It's it's the government and the shit they pump into the air and and the stuff in our water. Everything. And yes, definitely in our food. And there's nothing we can really do about it. They just want to keep us sick. Yeah. They make a lot of money off of us. They sure do. Because they say at, at these low doses, it's relatively harmless. Yeah, I don't trust anything that they because tell me. Because otherwise it causes cancer. They don't want to tell us that. They're like, oh, it's good enough. But you know what? They're having to like be exposed to this too. That's what never makes sense to me. It's like you can't have your own water source. You can't have like this affects every person in the world. So why would you? I guess if they have enough money, they don't care. They're like, whatever, I'll go out strong. I, have I don't know. Money. For all we know, like, they have their own filtration systems. They're that living are, like, in top like, of the world. <laughs> they're living yeah. in Middle Earth. Yep. (laughs) We don't know about. Yep. Journey to the middle of the earth. Water release is going to take decades, though. And in all, it actually might take a technology that does not exist yet to remove the cores. Yeah. What do you do with those? I don't know. Inside the reactors today, the radioactivity is still so high that it can kill a human in a couple of minutes. So once again, I know nuclear energy is clean, they say, or better than coal and all of that. But it fucking kills people. And we don't even know how to get rid of it when we decide we don't need it anymore. Like, (laughs) this is not something we should keep investing in. It's not like we can go put it out in space. No, there's nowhere that it, this can go nowhere it kills everything mm-hmm. why did we ever fucking invent this stuff <laughs> i want to cry <laughs> we'll never know but so what is fukushima like today and areas around it well they are abandoned ghost towns yeah. radioactive ghost towns right i think most of us have seen videos online of people who are visiting fukushima you can visit oh yeah you can why it's like is a, it like a morbid curiosity yes visit exactly there? Yeah. you can go with different gadgets that measure level of radiation People go to Chernobyl, too. Like, no, thank you. That is nowhere I want to (laughs) go. Let me just test myself. (laughs) I have a lot of other travel bucket list places. Those are definitely not it. Yeah, but you can. You can visit parts and go to some of the abandoned buildings, shops, hospitals. There are still some areas that are strictly off limits. And if you try, you will be approached by people and told to leave. But... (laughs) 
They're like, what are you thinking? (laughs) But now let's take a turn and we're going to talk about some ghosts. Are they radioactive ghosts? (laughs) Not really, because not a lot of people died in Fukushima. Yeah, that's true. It was Um, further. And if it was, it was due to other things, not because of a boom crazy event or something like that. It's really just this ghost town. It's stuck in time. Yeah. And it'll be there for the next, Mm -hmm. I mean, for the rest of our lifetime before they'll clean it up. It will. Well, that means that we're dying in 30 years. So I'm living for at least 40 more years, hopefully. So we might be able to visit. I don't want to (laughs) visit. When I'm 80 something, I'll be, no, that'll be last. I'll be at a beach. I'll go. (laughs) I'll just wear a mask. I've heard that they actually have stopped wearing some masks on the plant property because it's not as bad anymore because a lot of the radioactive material is down. It's down in those reactors and they will be for a really long time. I just I'm sitting here picturing what a nuclear plant looks like and it's not that exciting. It's just a bunch of concrete buildings. I don't want to see the nuclear plant. I don't want to visit. It's the the town. The town. Because it's ghost town. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, I get it. It's It looks like it was left in a hurry and there's dust. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'd rather go to the old Wild West ghost towns right. or, yeah. And it's going to be from the 2000s. It's not going to be like exciting old memorabilia or anything for exactly. us because we I lived mean, during that time. It is kind of interesting right now if you think about it, because even 12 years ago, we stopped doing some of the stuff that we would see yeah, back then. True. It is still a moment stuck in time. Oh, right. I forgot about those. Whoa, where did those go? It's only been a yeah. decade or, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Anyway, Fukushima definitely has its ghostly feel, as abandoned places do. Yeah. But what about real ghosts? Yes, let's hear them. In Japan today, many survivors of the tsunami claim that they see the restless spirits of that day. Okay. The victims are known as tsunami ghosts. Makes sense. Shortly after the tsunami, survivors said that they saw the faces of victims in puddles, wandering the beaches, and appearing at their doors. People have seen disheveled spirits hailing cabs only to disappear once they got in the back seat. And this wasn't just a few people saying this. Many people from all over the affected areas said the same thing. In fact, they became a commonplace encounter for locals of the areas. As we know, there are a lot of beliefs in Japan. Yes. Superstition, some might say, especially when it comes to the dead. But really, it is that the dead are in some way just as alive as the living, just a variation of existence. I read a book by Richard Lloyd Perry, Ghosts of the Tsunami. He describes the witness of apparitions as an epidemic. Wow. He's not discrediting their grief and anguish, but in a way it was. Okay. I'm going to go over just a few stories from his book. But first, something to keep in mind, after the tsunami and as people were being found, funerals became impossible as well. Yeah, they can't fit it all in. Yeah, as we spoke about in the Aokigahara Forest episode, there are certain rites when someone dies, but crematoriums and morgues were very overwhelmed. Many of them were damaged in the tsunami. Mm -hmm. And for those that wanted cremation, there just wasn't enough kerosene or dry ice to make it happen. And after realizing this, governments and the military were forced to bury many of the bodies in a mass grave with a promise that they would be cremated at a later time. I don't know if it ended up happening for everyone, but if you believe in what they believe, that creates a lot of spirits. It does, because remember, I remember from Algi Kahara Forest where somebody had to watch over the body. 
mm-hmm. to make sure ghosts didn't come out. And nobody's been watching over these bodies. And they haven't had their rights. They haven't yeah. been put to rest. And they're all lost, wandering, because mm-hmm. they don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. I can imagine so many of them died very quickly. Yeah. Didn't even see it coming kind of situation, especially if you died in the earthquake. Well, even just the tsunami. I mean, if you're picked up immediately, you hit your head. Who knows? Yeah. You never know. So one of the stories included a man named Takashi Ono. He became possessed. Oh. That's not his real name, by the way. That's just a name that we have to tell his story. A Buddhist priest by the name of Reverend Kennedy recounted the days and months following the disaster. They both experienced the earthquake, but the tsunami didn't reach them. The priest, as he does, went to these badly stricken areas and was trying to help people to properly bury their family members. Ono, on the other hand, didn't go back to the area until months later. It was his first time seeing the devastation when he did go. He went home afterwards and had a normal dinner with his family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But shortly after that, he started screaming obscenities and he went into his backyard and started rolling in the mud and just speaking in a very possessed way. I think we've seen enough. You can imagine. His family's like, what did he have for dinner? (laughs) (laughs) His behavior lasted until the morning, just saying things that didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. The next day, he didn't remember doing that. But this went on for three nights. Okay. He said he saw figures walking past their house, parents, children, and grandparents, and they were all covered in mud. Mm-hmm. And instead of thinking anything, he wasn't scared of them. But he just thought that they were normal people that were just dirty for some reason. Or, <laughs> I don't know. He didn't realize. Yeah. The next day, Ono was lethargic. He would lay down to go to sleep and only sleep for about 10 minutes and would wake up full of energy as if he got a full night's sleep. And some of what he would say during these episodes were really, really harsh and scared his family. Stuff about killing them and like Uh, really filthy things. I don't want to hear that. His family begged for him to see someone. So he ended up going to Reverend Canada. Ono was starting to feel hatred towards a lot of things, but he knew that that wasn't him. Yeah. So he wanted help. Even meeting with a priest, he remembers wanting the priest to die. (laughs) But also recognizing that he needed help. So Mm -hmm. the priest ended up performing an exorcism for him. Okay. It worked. And Canada said that he was easily overtaken because of his lax attitude. Okay. When he went to go visit the land that was ravaged by the tsunami because he was eating an ice cream cone. Oh, so he's being an asshole. As he was walking around. Yeah. Well, I I don't know that that's being an asshole. (laughs) He just wasn't being very respectful of the thousands who died in that area. And they were still roaming and confused confused and angry and sad and he was walking around like it was Disneyland with his ice cream cone like a tourist situation like oh let me go look at this and I'm going to eat this wonderful ice cream cone at the same time you all died horrible deaths right here yeah I could see that's pretty disrespectful yeah so the priest said that he was ripe for possession and they were all like that guy and they all rushed him As Ono left the priest, though, after he had this exorcism, he started to have what he could only describe as pink jelly coming from his nose. Ew. And this was only one of the many exorcisms Canada ended up performing. He also exorcised one woman, Amy. She was brought to him by some of her friends. She was weak and pleading for help. She could feel that there were many ghosts inside of her coming in and out, and she couldn't stop it. All she felt was their pain, and it made her want to die. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. 
One of the spirits was a man trying to find his daughter when the earthquake hit. Yeah. The man described that he was now at the bottom of the sea and unable to swim up because there were too many bodies all <gasps> around him. I could see why that would make you just depressed to the point of... You can't do anything. Like overwhelmed yeah. with grief. It's overwhelming to think that spirits actually live like that. That's scary to me. Like he's stuck at a bottom of the sea. And that's and you, you're just stuck there until you can find a, a medium to get you out like that's fucking mm-hmm. scary and knowing that he needs to get to his daughter somehow and he's just stuck in that loop and he's just stuck oh that gives me chills i, I don't want to think about that i know <laughs> <laughs> another spirit was of a young girl who would just cry and cry mm-hmm. and another young girl was also with her and at the time the tsunami struck she was running with her little brother holding his hand mm-hmm. they were separated and she saw her little brother get washed away mm-hmm. they both did She felt the little girl's fear, but also a lot of guilt. Yeah. Because the little girl wanted to apologize to her mother for letting go of her little brother's hand. Mm. It's a lot to carry. That's a lot. Another spirit was holding onto her leg and would not let her go, almost as if she was dragging him along. Okay. And this wasn't as nice of a spirit. No. He became (laughs) angry when he realized that she was speaking with a reverend, and she was really scared of him, actually. Interesting. It is said that Canada in all exercised 25 spirits from her. He says that hers was the worst case he had ever seen because Amy was very sensitive. She was sensitive before the tsunami happened and she had nothing to do with the tsunami itself. It didn't happen where she lived. Okay. But because of her sensitivity, she was a magnet for lost spirits that needed peace. And Mm -hmm. so they just all found their way into her. Yes. There was another man visiting a devastated area with no homes, buildings, or other cars and sites, and he saw a woman that was standing in a scarlet-colored dress all alone. Okay. And he turned away for a second and looked back, and she disappeared. There's mm-hmm. no reason that she should have been there. Right, because nobody There's no was way to in even, the town. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there is an old woman who is said to haunt one of the refugee homes in Onogawa. A cushion is left out for her because she likes to sit down and have a cup of tea. Okay. She would speak with some of them, some of the people there. And they said that none had the heart to tell her that she was dead. But maybe that's what she needs to hear. I know. She probably so does she need to hear that. <laughs> and every time she leaves, the cushion is soaked with seawater. Yeah, they need to tell her so she can move I'm, along. Exactly. Because she's probably tired of getting the same tea every day. She's in a loop. It's like being mm-hmm. in a lucid dream. You got to say something. Right. And then in Tagajo, a city in the Miyagi prefecture, there was a fire station that received call after call. Knowing the address the call was coming from, eventually the firefighters went to the location. There was no longer a home there. It was washed away in the tsunami, but they prayed for the people of that home and the call stopped after that. See? So So that's what they needed to do. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Push them along. Let them know. Right. A girl, Yukakudo, traveled to Ishinomaki in 2016, which was one of the cities that was hit really hard by the disaster. Okay. There were 3,097 deaths. 2,770 were reported missing and 50,000 buildings were destroyed. Yeah. She was a graduate student of sociology and she went there to study this tsunami ghost epidemic. Okay. She wanted to focus specifically on the stories of ghosts hailing cabs and the cab drivers who picked them up. Mm. Hundreds of taxi cab drivers had their own experiences with ghosts after the tsunami. She tried talking with a hundred of them, but only seven decided to actually speak with her and tell her about their experiences. I wonder why the others didn't want to. I don't know. Maybe just a 
Because in Japanese society, everyone believes in ghosts. So it's not like you're afraid to look weird or zany or whatever. Maybe because they start to feel like they're they're therapists and it's like therapist client (laughs) confidentiality. (laughs) They're like, no, I've made my peace with it. I don't want to talk about it. Possibly. But one man told her about a 2011 summer encounter that he had. There weren't many customers as most people had relocated somewhere else or had to. But one day he saw a young woman in a heavy winter coat flagging him down. Okay. And it was in one of the areas that was hit really hard. She was completely drenched. Oh. He stopped to pick her up and it wasn't until she climbed into the cab that he questioned why she was dripping wet. Because it wasn't raining. (laughs) Had it rained. She asked him to drive her to the Minamihama district, which was, or at the time was now mostly abandoned. Okay. And he asked her, are you sure? And she didn't answer at first, but then she asked him, have I died? What? And he quickly turned around to face her and she was gone. Oh, so she knew. It's like she was getting close to learning. Yeah. The truth. She was just super smart in life too. She's like, yes. something's not She's like, up wait a minute. Moment. I must be dead. Yeah. Another cab driver picked up a man in his 20s. He seemed confused, and every time he asked where he needed to go, the man would just point forward. Okay. Eventually, he said Hayoriyama, which is a mountain near the city, but he didn't know why he would be going there. So he went there to drop off the man. When he turned around to request payment, the man was gone. Oh. But he got out anyway, and he opened the door for the man, hoping that it would allow him to actually rest where he was trying to go. Wanting to go. That's sweet. One driver mentioned seeing ghosts wandering around so often, and when he sees them, he will have physical symptoms, okay. such as tingling and just this immediate depression that will come over him, which mm-hmm. I get. Yeah, because you know why mm-hmm. that spirit is restless. Many, and in some of these, right. are, you're flooded with so many around They're you. They're everywhere. Yeah, it, yeah. Would be, it would feel really heavy. Yes, heavy. Most experiences were similar to this, picking up someone and once they got to where the person had asked to go or along the drive, they would look back and the person would be gone. Yeah. But they would also see them in all states. Some who just looked normal, some were wet from the seawater, but others were also seen without heads or missing oh limbs. Yeah. So some of the drivers. Upon, That's traumatizing. Yeah. I can imagine that some of the drivers that she was trying to talk to, if they had had some of those experiences, they're like, dude, no, I'm not going to talk about like, I do that. not <laughs> want to relive that. That was the worst day of my life. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the way you said that was funny. <laughs> Thank you. But some of these drivers are actually really sweet in that they are helping these ghosts to move on. So yeah, upon finishing a drive for a ghost, some of them, well, at first not knowing that they were ghosts, but figuring it out along the way. Right. When they do realize it is a ghost, they'll pay for the fare. Just to get it Out of their completed. own pocket. Yeah. yeah. They think that if they can conclude where they wanted to go, then maybe that means that they'll be able to pass on. That's sweet. And paying the fare is part of that. Yeah, that's what fully completes the cycle. Yep. There's also another man who mentions being very scared of the rain now. Mm. And this is because of puddles, because every time there is a puddle and he comes upon one, he sees the eyes of those who died. Yeah. Those that he personally knew, which is scary. Eyes and puddles. Yeah, I don't want anything looking back at me except my own reflection. Because then it's like, there's like what? An inch or two of water. Yeah. And it would seem like they're down there. Mm-hmm. You reach your hand and Help grab them, them out. out yeah. But you can't. It's two inches of water. You just know that they're trapped souls. <sighs> 
And then we have another story, which is pretty interesting. About a year after the tsunami, there was a relief center put together to help organize cleaning up the different areas Okay, to try and regain some normalcy. Right. Helping to organize rebuilding, stuff like that. One day, there was a new employee that had started. It was his first day. One of the phones rang and no one was picking it up. It rang and rang and he figured that everyone was just too busy. Uh So he asked someone, should he answer? That person didn't give him a yes or a no and just sort of shooed him away. So he didn't answer the phone. (laughs) And eventually the ringing stopped. This was around 3 p.m. The next day, same thing, around 3 p.m., the phone rang and no one was answering it again. He noted the time and to him, it just seemed like either no one cared, no one heard it, or they were purposefully ignoring it. Yeah. This time he decided to answer. Uh Uh-oh. But once he did, all of a sudden, everyone in the office stopped and were looking at him in (laughs) disbelief. What he had heard on the other line was someone who sounded like they were trying to speak underwater. Oh, no. He couldn't understand what they were trying to say. Not one word. He got scared and he hung up. And he found out that, yes, people were purposefully ignoring this call because others had answered the call before when they first started getting this daily call at 3 p.m. And at first they thought someone was in trouble. So they tried to locate where the call was coming from and sent out help to find them. And it turns out that the number was from a payphone booth that was washed away during the tsunami. It was no longer there, but why 3 p.m.? The question brought up that maybe 3 p.m. because 3 is a very important number in the universe. Okay. And that it's a time when spirits can manipulate frequencies. Um, Yeah, like the 333. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow this spirit was making this call. But 3 p.m. is also the time that the tsunami hit in some areas. So it could be either one. Stuck in time. Yeah. They need to help that person and then they'll stop calling. But how can they help him because it's not there anymore? Talk to him and say, you're dead? Well, I don't know. And coming upon the story, someone also mentioned like the multiple timelines theory that at three, this person was calling someone who used to be at that number and was swept away. Right. So because this is just some random building. Oh, it wasn't a 911? No, this is just a random building. So I don't know what eventually came of that call. Like, did it ever stop or did it just become something eventually included in the employee handbook? Like, this is don't what happens at call. 3 p.m. Answer at your own risk. I it's don't a know. ghost call. It will fuck your world up. <laughs> don't take it. I don't know. Is this office still functioning? And if not, was the number transferred to someone else? And are they now getting the calls? Could you imagine if that was your house phone or your cell oh, phone number? Yeah. I'd be like, I got to change it. Sorry. Ghosty. I don't know. Hopefully there was some way to help this person move I on. I know. But if you can't hear what they're saying. Yeah. It'd be hard hard to have the conversation over the phone right to help it and you happen. don't know where their spirit well you kind of know where their spirit's located It'd be in that vicinity where that payphone had been i mean does that mean he's in the booth that would be my assumption is that he was calling from that phone booth probably trying to call oh, somebody he, he loved i know that's to what say makes i love you even that's what worse. i worse because when you know imminent death is coming yeah that's the first thing you want to do i know rough Well, these ghosts, or as we have learned to call them from previous episodes I've covered, the Yure. Yeah. Because they died in such traumatic fashion. Yeah. And almost suddenly. Yeah. They're believed to roam these areas and the beaches, wandering, looking for answers, for closure. Yeah. And because so many did not have the chance to say goodbye, both the living and the dead. It's believed that both are drawn to one another. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so prevalent there. What we do know is there are countless stories from all over these devastated areas. The tsunami ghosts are very real to so many and everyone needs closure. 
this wasn't that long ago. This is 12 years ago. Yeah, this we can help them still. This isn't like 70, 80 years ago right. like we're normally talking about. So this we have now. time to get yeah. through all of these ghosts. And they're just going to keep coming up because so many people died. Oh, it's so hard to think about. <laughs> yeah. It really is. So hopefully over time, this area has time to heal. Yes. Both from the tsunami and all of these people being able to move on and the land and somehow getting rid of radioactivity. But from this triple disaster, the tsunami produced 500 million tons of waste. Damn. With debris, mostly plastic and styrofoam, showing up on the shores of Canada and the United States later in the year. That's insane. Traveled. Close to over 500,000 people lost their homes, Uh including those that were displaced because of the Fukushima disaster, which was around 154,000 people. Yeah, they can never move back. Like They just have to go somewhere completely different. Mm -hmm. That would be really disorienting. I mean, that's a lot of people. Your entire community is gone just like that in a matter of one call or emergency bulletin and you can't even grab anything like it's just done you just gotta start over mm. do you know what you would do i don't know what i would do <laughs> if i had to start over well i think about that like with the wildfires mm-hmm. because that's probably most relevant to us in colorado and it is it's just you get like a notice and they're like get out of your house yeah now and you can only take so much in your car mm. i don't know I don't know where I would go. I would have to hope that I could go stay with friends or family. But like, how do you go buy a new house? How do you like, there's so much that goes with it waiting for money from the government to cover. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't want to think about that. I hope to God that that never happens in my life personally. But I know we're all vulnerable to it. We see it every day. Somebody's being displaced. Yeah. Estimates of the cost of the damage range well into the tens of billions in US dollar. As many as 100,000 children were uprooted from their homes. Yep. Some that were not with their families at the time because of they were in school or, you know. Right. And their family may have died. Like they may not have any family members left. 1,580 children lost one or both of their parents that day. 378 students died. And that does include the 74 children from the Okawa Elementary School. Yeah. And there are 158 students still missing, we can assume. Yeah. Dead. At this point. Yeah. Yeah. And as of 2021, there are 19,747 confirmed deaths, 6,242 that were injured, and 2,500 reported still missing. And the elderly accounted for almost 66% that of is the always, deaths, which is really sad. That's the unfortunate thing in most disasters. That's who is Yeah, because they disproportionately can't be moved. Yeah. People just leave them behind. Some of them don't want to leave. Some of them are like, some you know what, I'm 80, just let yeah. me die. But a lot of them, in some ways, aren't even of the right mind anyway when yes. some of this is happening. And it's hard to move them. Yep. But Japan is Japan. And I feel like Japan always rises up and yeah they've had to do it too many times yeah one of the times because we were assholes I say we as in the U.S. (laughs) yeah so I hope these areas become vibrant again over time but I understand not wanting to move back to some of them just in case radioactive (laughs) waste is not an attractive you know you only need one tsunami in a lifetime to be like "Mm, maybe not that's like (laughs) a lot of people in the hurricane areas like when their house is destroyed they're like well that was once too many I'm never going back there like but then other people will rebuild multiple times like there's some people in hurricanes they've gone through it three or four times and I'm like wow (laughs) you must have lots of money (laughs) I get that the beach is beautiful but maybe move you can visit the beach if you have that kind of money right I myself have a dream of living on the water 
You know, yeah. I really do. So I get taking the risk to do it. And yeah. if you can make it happen, then you make it happen. And hope yeah, for the best. <laughs> every now and then there might be something that you can't run away from. Yeah. So, so that's it. Thank you, Japan, again. I'm sorry for yes. why am I always covering all your disasters? Yeah, you haven't done a happy Japan episode. No, I haven't. We don't really do a lot of happy episodes anyways. We don't. Because that's I mean, not, it's not like we're... That's not what like, you guys want to hear. Oh, you want to hear this? No. If y'all wanted to hear a happy podcast, you would be listening to... Blippi. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Disney. That's, I don't that's know. That's the first thing that popped into my head because I'm a child. I was thinking of <laughs> Mel Robbins was the per- first person oh. that popped in my head because she's like a motivational and I actually like to listen to her sometimes oh, yeah. too but like she I brings all these happy like make your life better. That's where you go. When you want to hear the dark side we are here for you mm-hmm. because we love it. I feel like we're inspirational sometimes. Yeah we have some stuff that we like pull out <laughs> of our asses. <laughs> yeah. It's more just reality. Yeah it's just than anything are. else. Yeah. So. But, well this was a really interesting episode like I said I had heard a little bit about it. I feel like I may have seen a documentary or something years and years ago because some of the ghost stories sounded familiar, but I don't know that I realized how all of it happened at once all at and once. just devastated this Me whole either. Yeah. area. Crazy. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't either. And it's still new. This is still a fresh band. Yeah, this wasn't that long ago. Yeah. We need to get all these spirits home. We do. So maybe we'll go there and try. I don't want to get possessed, though. That is a scary thing because (laughs) I already know I am capable of that. I feel like I don't want to be possessed. Sorry, I want to help you move on, spirits, but I do not need you to take over my body. How do we do that? And we just go up and we're like, you can't come in here, but you can hold my hand and I will walk you somewhere. I will take you out, but you do not need to. Yeah. I brought a control bus. Control me. <laughs> yes. 20 of you can come in the bus, but do not. I'll drive you wherever you want to go. <laughs> right. Tell me your story in a non-scary way. <laughs> I can handle seeing you with like your missing limbs. I can handle I, that. I think I could handle Show that Show me too. yourself, but mm-hmm. don't instill fear in and my body. And don't grab my legs. <laughs> yeah. Don't try and kill me. Don't grab my legs. I have experienced that. Don't grab my legs. <laughs> well, we're going to wrap this episode up. We have mm-hmm. more coming your way next Tuesday. So come back for that. In the meantime, you can find us on all the social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all under at Lucid Lab Podcast, one word. Please send in any questions or your listener stories, your lab reports to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com. Please go leave any reviews or just recommend to a friend. We saw a lot of new lucid dreaming people this month and that was fun. So we appreciate the love. Yes. And we love you. And I think this episode is right before Christmas is coming. So Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. Yes. Enjoy the time off from work and hopefully spending time with family. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing to me when it comes to the holidays. So we love you guys and we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye, y'all.